Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is the CEO of Gateway Financial Advisors, Shane Westholter. Congrats on being a 2020 Spirit of Cambridge honoree, by the way, Shane, and thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Amy. Let's kick this off by you telling our audience a little bit about your story. I'm fortunate enough to know you well enough and know a little bit about your journey and how I, I think it's got some unique twists and turns to it. You've approached and reached your level of success and doing what you're doing today by taking a lot of different turns. So maybe just tell us your story. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I grew up in a very small town in Missouri, uh, Washington, Missouri. So very rural, very small and kind of as a farm boy and Got into sports early on and loved sports and was going down that path, trying to compete in all varieties of sports. And then went off to college. I was the first one in my family to actually go to college. I grew up, like I said, very rural. A lot of my family ended up in being factory workers or working on the farm. So I kind of grew up in a trailer and made our way up from there. My dad was always an entrepreneur, and we can talk about that later, but always trying to find a better way for us and, and position us. So I was the first one to go off to college uh, in our family and wanted to go into corporate law and found myself two years into college that didn't work out. And so I ended up dropping out of college, having to raise a family, got married very young and was a cable lineman for a few years. My dad had been in and out of the insurance business and he said, you might want to try looking at insurance. I think you'd be really good at it. And so I ended up in 1988, starting in the insurance business, going door to door and selling life insurance policies, $5,000, $10,000 face amounts in the city of St. Louis, uh, the inner city. And about 90 days after I started in the insurance business, I had to deliver my first death claim check. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't even know what it was really all about. They said, take this $10,000 check, take it out to Mrs. So-and-so and uh, deliver this check. So when I got there, knocked on the door, she said, Mr. Shane, please come in. Thank you so much for being here. She had lost her seven-year-old son in a drive-by shooting. And so I delivered my first $10,000 claim check. And I remember we sat for about an hour, reminisced, talked about her son, and she said to me, she said, Shane, this $10,000 check may not seem like a lot of money to someone like you. Of course, she didn't know at the time that was like a lot of money to me, but she said, this check will allow me to keep my dignity. I won't have to ask my family, my friends, or the church for money to give my son the decency he deserves, so thank you for helping me keep my dignity. That resonated with me, and so uh, that was kind of the start. Of course, over the years, a couple of years later, I ended up with Franklin Life out of Springfield, Illinois, another insurance company. They got into the securities business as an insurance. Um, so we had the broker dealer, started in the Series 6 side. They got acquired by AIG and American General, and then eventually then AIG. I moved over to FSC Securities out of Atlanta, got more into the security side. And then, of course, my path just kind of stayed that way. So 1988 till now, it was really just kind of growing with the industry. I mean, honestly, it's, I started on the insurance side, ended up probably stronger on the security side. And that was really just as the industry continued to change and metamorph. And here we are today. But I love being with Cambridge, being in there in Missouri. I remember Cambridge many, many years ago when there was probably about 200 or so advisors at the time and, and thought, you know, maybe I would join them someday. But they were too small at the time. And uh, here we are. So it's all been good. Just adding on to that a little bit, you spent a little bit of time in what I would probably call more of a corporate role for a while, and then found your way back. And did that benefit you at all, that kind of experience? It did. It kind of gave me the peek behind the curtain, if you will, opportunity. I served as a regional vice president 
for a Hartford slash Woodbury broker dealer. They were owned by Hartford. And I actually was recruited to that. I had my own organization that was growing and expanding and was recruited over there because they wanted to cross sell, if you will. They wanted to get the insurance people doing security, securities people doing insurance. Of course, you know, Hartford had this big plan on creating everybody one-stop shop mentality. And so they brought me in. I was a regional vice president in the Northern California area. I had moved from Missouri in 2006 out to California by design to do an acquisition and do a merger with another guy to bring in as a partner. Of course, 2007, 2008 hit. And so in 2007, we kind of put the brakes to merging together. And that's when Hartford reached out to me and said, we'd love for you to build a scratch territory for us in the Bay Area. And here's the model we want you to build it off of. It matches what you're trying to do with Gateway at the time. And would you be willing to do that? So I did for about a year and a half. And then Hartford obviously went through some downsizing. So there was 22 regional vice presidents. They had to cut that down. I think it was 10 or 12 at the time. So it was kind of last in, first out, no hard feelings. But it did give me a great opportunity to see what it was like to be on the, quote, management side of the table and recruit and build versus focusing strictly on the client side and working with clients every day. So a little bit of a challenge because I love working with clients. I still love that piece of it and sitting there and helping them solve you know, for their problems or looking at solutions. But the, the challenge became really tough. I either had to work with advisors or I had to work with clients. And it was really difficult to, at that time to try and do both. That's a great segue. So I know that you happen to have the capability of running at breakneck speed and that you don't sleep, but our audience would probably be very interested in hearing from you on how you now today effectively balance the client side and your business tasks. I know something that's near and dear to your heart is coaching other financial professionals and and building your organization with financial professionals that have the same kind of core values and approach. So how do you balance all of that? That, That's a great question as well. And and balance is is difficult. Even for me, it's, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. My dad was always an entrepreneur. He probably had four or five businesses going at one time constantly. He was always in sales. So I was fortunate enough to grow up at four or five, six years of age, listening to Tom Hopkins, Zig Ziglar, and, you know, all these type of tapes and motivational things. And part of that was just trying to find out what do I want to be when I grow up? And I, today it's the focus of trying to figure out what's the most important on a day-to-day basis. What's the why, you know, why are we doing what we're doing? So my focus today predominantly is on the associates, helping them grow their practices, helping them uh, solve any items that they may come into. If you look at my calendar, I'm old school. So I'll use the red, yellow, green system. Green is uh, things that I need to be focused on that are money-making ROI return. Yellow can go either red or green, might be interviews, might be doing a podcast like this, where it's important, it's valuable, may not be a direct ROI correlation to it, as some advisors might think. And then red time is my time, you know, I'll block it. And that's when I go take my run, go to the gym, just want some downtime, whatever it might be. So balance to me is really running the business, not letting the business run us, managing the clients, not letting the clients manage us. And clients can be those that have investment accounts with us or could be advisors, you know, that are I think that's, again, another great segue. We may have, or hopefully we will have at some point, listeners out there who aren't currently with Cambridge, talk a little bit about your, you know, what kind of financial professional 
would, because you're growing, right? You're, you're, you're still growing. You're actively adding financial professionals to your organization. What makes them a good fit for you? Yeah, I think it's similar to what I've heard you say many times with Cambridge. I'm at a point now in my life and career where it's culture. I'm not so concerned about, are they producing a lot? Are they not producing? Do they, can they grow? Will they not grow? As much as I am, are they a cultural fit? We're family. And when we get together, we like to have fun. We also have the serious side to us, of course, but I want them to feel comfortable. And it doesn't take long for an advisor to come into any one of our meetings or our functions and know whether they fit or they don't fit. So to me, it's culture. You know, the other side of that is I like helping people, as you said, aspire to higher levels. So one quick story, I had a, have an associate that I met um, when I moved out to California. He was making, I think at the time, somewhere around 30000 a year in, in production is what he was doing. And he came to me at one point and he said, you know, I got these like, client appointments. I hate to ask you this, but I really need the, to meet with them. I need some sales because my car's broken down and I can't get there and I don't have money to fix my car. So could you go on these appointments with me and would you take me there? And so we did. We went out and did the joint appointments. And then when we came back, I said, well, how much is it? He told me the amount. And I said, well, why don't I just loan you that money? Let's go get your car fixed and we'll worry about settling it up later. And that producer today is doing over 500000 in production. He still remembers that same story. He talks about it in our meetings. And to me, that's the reward. It's, you know, looking at it going, it's not that you're good, bad, or indifferent. It's, you know, can we be friends? And looking at that vision and that goal and helping others aspire, I wouldn't be where I'm at today without a lot of people around me that have been great mentors, people that have opened doors for me, people who picked me up when I was feeling down. And I, I know this probably resonates with those that are in the business, but there's been many, many days I wake up and say, yeah, you know, I need to find a real job. But then I come back and keep doing the same thing. So. Yep. Yep. And it pays off, right? It, it does. does eventually for financially and otherwise it pays off. Let's shift gears a little bit. We did some research on you and we know that you're involved with ALS Foundation of New Mexico. Tell us about your experience in working with nonprofits and how, what, what drove you there? I, again, I, it goes to my why and giving back, you know, being privileged to be at a point in life where I can allocate some time to do things for charity, involved in the community, whether it's putting meals together you know, around Thanksgiving for those that need meals or serving on boards like ALS or other organizations. ALS is a little bit dear to my heart. There's two organizations, actually three, but American Cancer Society, because my mom is a cancer survivor, as well as several of my staff members. So we're, we're passionate about that. And then dementia, Alzheimer's, my dad passed away from dementia, Alzheimer's uh, recently. And so that one's dear to me. And ALS, I really kind of got involved with that because I had some clients that came to me or were referred to me actually, started working with them and found out they had ALS. And it's a disease that's just terrific because it slowly just begins to shut the body down. And, you know, they may have one year, they may have 10 years. It just depends how their body can fight or responds and how fast it spreads. But unfortunately, a lot of times mentally, they're there all the way up to the almost the very end. And it's just a, a horrible disease. So I got involved in serving on the boards. I, I love giving back that, that way, helping do fundraisers. And again, a, a quick story on that. We have one client right now that's in our office where she's a nurse in the hospital. She started having some symptoms. She didn't know what it was, thought it was muscular dystrophy starting to set in or something of that sort. After a few more tests, she found out that the doctors didn't know what she had and she's self-diagnosed and she says, I know it's ALS. And she goes, I was hoping it was MS because that would be easier for me to deal with. 
She has a seven-year-old son. She's in her 40s, and they've diagnosed her with probably five years or less. And so we're helping her create a legacy for her son because we're doing some videos. We're doing financial planning, of course, where her son can go to college. And one of the things she said to me, she said, is, is it possible that if I put some money in this annuity product that we can send him money every year on his birthday after I'm gone so that he'll always remember me for as long as he can? So that's, those are the things that are heartbreaking to me. And it's the privilege that we get to work with clients and say, we have products, we have solutions, we have ideas that we can create legacies. And I think that's what people are looking for. It's, you know, it's, yeah, the rate of return is important, uh, of course, but at the end of the day, how are they going to be remembered? What can they leave behind? And what's their story? And so uh, serving on these boards opens my eyes to a lot of things that I, be real easy to just sit in my office and do what we do every day and not really know what's going on in the world around us until you serve in some of these types of organizations. Yeah, goosebumps. I know, making a difference. That's one of those things that I feel like our segment of the industry is very unique in uh, because of the independence. And we sometimes get splashed with the negativity of corporate Wall Street, right? And we're so very different in so many ways. So it's you out there and, and others like you out there making a difference for clients like that, that I think hopefully we'll just continue to drive a differentiator. Yeah, it makes us part of the community. And, you know, we all have our communities that we live in. And I think at the end of the day, as we get blessed more and more financially or more with knowledge, whatever it might be, how do we take that and give back, help our communities grow and understand? Absolutely. So we talked a little bit earlier about how you don't need sleep. You work with clients, you're building a fantastic business. You spend a lot of time coaching and and helping other financial professionals. You volunteer. What do you do for you outside of those types of things? What do you enjoy and what motivates you just on the life side of things? Yeah, I, I do take time for myself. You know, sometimes people look at, like you said, you know, they look at someone like myself or others and they're like, well, they're all over the board. They're working 24-7. But the reality is I build it in. I, I love what I do. So it's kind of like a pro athlete. When you get up and you love what you do every day, it's really not work necessarily. Some days it does feel like work, of course. But a lot of times I look forward to the travel. I look forward to meetings. I look forward to meeting with the associates, seeing in, in conference calls. Uh, it's what drives me. For me personally, um, I will build in my own personal time. So I like to hike. I like to bike. I like to swim. Of course, I'm a runner. I've run my entire life. So for me to get that alone time would be to take off and run maybe uh, half an hour, an hour, and just have that alone time and de-stress, I guess, if you will. I do golf once in a while when I, I can you know, make the time to do it. But I'm, I'm more of an adventure guy. So I look forward to going to things like you know, the Premier Conference or the Ignite Conferences where there's the opportunity to you know, maybe get out on the water and do something or windsurf or bungee jump or whatever it might be. So yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit adventurous and crazy, but that's what I like to do. And I'm, I'm really so very competitive. So anything that's related to sports, pick up basketball team, whatever on a weekend, uh, go play volleyball. A lot of times I, I, I won't sit still. I'm not surprised. I <laughs> do know that about you, but I think from my perspective, moving into my next question, that's a, again, a perfect segue. Let's pivot. All of those interests of yours, I believe a successful practice can start with a specialty, a niche, if you will. And I think you've got one that you've kind of started working on over the last few years related to the side of athletes, right? And you probably, what your personal interests, I imagine, give you 
an opportunity to really have something in common with them as you begin to work with them. But do you wanna share with our audience a little bit about how that specialty's working and, and been valuable? Yeah, so I think you're probably referring to, we started off working with the NFL a few years back, probably more specifically in, in general. Now it's gotten into basically pro athletes in general, some NBA, Major League Baseball, even soccer and so forth. And there was, a, there was a crossover there. One, I was uh, very competitive, like I said, in sports all the way up into college. I was actually doing about a four-minute mile when I was uh, a junior in high school. And so I was qualifying for the Junior Olympics and then towards the U.S. Olympic team. And the year that I was to compete in the U.S. Olympics, I actually had been selected to be part of the team, but then we boycotted the Olympics. So I didn't go. And then, of course, my life took a change after that with having to raise a family. So I never follow through with that dream. The second part of that was starting to work with the pro athletes. What I found is they have their skill set and they're great at what they do. They're not necessarily financially savvy and they were taken advantage of quite frequently. And it was heartbreaking to me to find out that some of these athletes, their second or third year of their career while they were playing were so far in debt that they were going to play the next six games or the next whole year paying off either debt or even just covering interest that they already owed. So Again, they didn't come from backgrounds typically where they sat down and said, finance is my number one focus here. And even now, working with the uh, athletes that we're working with now, what we're finding is, yeah, their parents went to college. Maybe they're getting a little bit better start from that perspective. But financial literacy is not taught when they go through college. They're not, even if they come out with a business degree, they're not necessarily being taught how to manage their money. They're taught, you know, they're taught about money, but not how to manage their money. And so we're working with both retired players and some of them have foundations. And again, that crosses over into helping communities and how do they raise money and managing maybe the money for them and their uh, organizations. And then working with the athletes as they're coming in on the front end. Quite honestly, I'm, I'm finding personally more satisfaction working with the retired players and, and their foundations and what do they want to do to create their stories or leave their legacies. Because that's probably more in line with my personal desires and, and what I want to help people do. But it's sad. And, and what we have done is crossed over into some other organizations. Now there's a great organization out of Texas called Ethos, and it's a nonprofit. And what they're doing is financial literacy specifically focused on pro athletes. And they're trying to get to them in the high school and then work with them all the way through college as they go into athletics. And, and some of them may never make it into real pro athletics. They may come out and be trainers or doctors or coaches or whatever. It's been around now for about two years, and we're starting to see some real impact of working with them, even at that young age. It's not necessarily financially rewarding at the moment, but what it is doing is setting that groundwork to where two, three, four, five years from now, we're going to have young adults that absolutely understand finance as they can move on into their careers. So to me, that's rewarding. And the whole NFL thing has is, is taken off too. It's, just, it's a hard group to get involved with, but once you're in, you're part of the part of the team, as they say. And uh, a lot of times I'm at these functions and they'll say, well, Shane, what's your favorite football team? And I said, I love the one I'm with. <laughs> you know, they all need our services. They need our help. And I, and I love just working with all of them. And surprisingly, a lot of the pro athletes are very much about giving. They, they understand when they come out after making some good money, a lot of times, even I'll, I'll, I'll stop with this comment, I guess, but when you think about it in football, for example, NFL, the average person on the practice squad is making north of six hundred thousand dollars. So six to seven hundred thousand a year, maybe two or three years. They never make it onto the big field. They get cut from the practice team and, and they're done. So think about this, you know, a, a person coming out of college making six hundred thousand a year for two or three years and then being let go. 
I don't know too many places they can go and find a career that's going to give them that type of an income. So the reality check sits in. And how do you go from making 600,000 to let's say 100,000 or 80,000 as a whatever else they might be doing? There's a lot of life adjustments. They never think about that. They're never told on the front end, this is only going to be good for three or four years. So you better start banking up and saving. They're told you're invincible. You're going to do this. And someday you'll you know, probably make a multi-million dollar contract if you play hard. Well, we all know there's a lot of them that start off that never did that. I've been fortunate to work with a lot of pro athletes that got those signing bonuses only to get injured and they're out. Uh, one of them, uh, Lincoln Kennedy, works with us. He actually was a farmer's insurance agent originally. He's with us on the insurance side, played for Oakland Raiders. You know, it's counterintuitive. I guess they get a bad rap because, you know, as you're saying, we, we all know that these things can happen. And if you think about it, you should know they can happen. But I guess we are so programmed into hearing the more success stories that you just assume anybody that's, you know, headed that direction is making, to your point, multi-million dollar contracts. And it's just not the case. I would I imagine far more do not make it than the ones that do that, that everybody knows, and they probably get a bad rap around that. But it's great that you're out there. Financial literacy is a passion of mine and, and many in the industry across the board. And it's a good place to start. That's your point, middle schools, high schools, regardless of what they're going to do. So they understand more about uh, when they're an adult, what they need to be focused on. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the phrases that we started using and I picked this up, it's not mine, but I picked it up from somewhere, but you know, it's, it's really about, you know, planning for the future and then planning for the unexpected and making sure that we're, we're doing both. And so many times, even with regardless whether you're working with, you know, pro athletes or doctors or lawyers or, you know, main street or wall street, everybody wants to plan for a great outcome, but we also have to plan for the unexpected. And that's what we're in the business to do. I mean, that is our job, uh, regardless of whether we're focused on wealth management or you're focused on insurance or something in between or all of the above. It's our clients are expecting us to at least give them some information or point them in the right direction or introduce them to someone else who can help them because that, the unexpected happens to all of us. I mean, we Nobody expected that we would all be shut down in business because of a virus. As we go through this pandemic, I think it's an eye-opener for a lot of business owners that didn't prepare and didn't plan. They had nothing in the savings account. They didn't know what they would do if their business was shut down for you know, 30 days, 90 days, much less nine months. I mean, it's, I think this is a real reality check for a lot of people on how we do planning going forward. And yeah, we, we always love to plan for the great positive outcomes, but we better be a little bit conservative in some of our thinking along the way as well. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. As we're thinking about wrapping up our session today, as I said, you've done a lot of really interesting things on your journey. What would be the best piece of advice for those considering our profession? What would you tell them if it was just the two of you sitting down and they were talking about exploring becoming a financial professional? Where would you guide them? Yeah, I think this profession offers a lot of opportunity. And for me, it's the first thing I would say is figure out what your why is. If you're going to get into this industry, why are you getting in the industry? It might be because you're money motivated. I was very driven by achievement uh, in my early career. I'm more motivated now about desires of giving back and what I can do to help others. So what is it that's your why? And then make sure that fits. This business can give you the opportunity to go as big or not. Some people are very comfortable saying, I just want to get to a point where I'm happy. I want to stay in my community and service my community. And it's more about what I can do for the people more than it is about how big is my bank account. Other people are like, no, I want to go and, and be on Wall Street. And it's all about the bank account and maybe not 
be so concerned about the relationships with the people. So my first advice would be if you're coming in this business, understand it's it's unlimited. You can do what you want to do, take off the time you want to take off, work when you want to work. You can make as much as you want to make, but you got to figure out your why. Because if you're trying to live on somebody else's why or some mentor who's coming up and saying, hell, I'll help you do this and money driven and you're not money driven, then it's not going to be a good fit. So I would say figure out your why. And that will probably dictate where you start and who you work with and where you go. And once you're in the industry and you have some success, there's many, many opportunities to give back. Like I said, you can serve on community boards, nonprofits. Within the industry, there's a lot of boards you can serve on if you have a passion to help grow the industry. And I think more importantly, it's what can we do as financial professionals, as a, as a group of people, make a difference in the communities that we live. That's to me is the, the heart of it. Great advice. I still believe there is a strong, inaccurate perception out there that our industry is highly inflexible. And what you've spent today, hopefully sharing with our audience members is the exact opposite, which is the word we really need to get out there. So I appreciate you. Thank you for being a part of Cambridge Stronger. Thank you for trusting us and being a great partner. And I look forward to many, many more years. Thank you, Amy. We love being here. I love everybody. I, I miss seeing everybody in, in person, but the world that we're living in right now is, is what we have to deal with. And you know, what I appreciate is even going through all of this, you've reached out, how the staff and leadership and people back at Cambridge have reached out. And more importantly, I, I found it very heartwarming to know that colleagues across this country that I've met both within Cambridge and in the industry, we've all stayed in touch a lot and just making sure that everybody is what are you doing? What's working? What's not working? How are you adjusting? And that camaraderie to me has just been really, really cool to see. If it took something like this to bring us all closer together, as you said, make us all stronger together, then, then so be it. Maybe that's the positive outcome that will come out of all of this. I can tell our audience that Shane and his organization pulled off a really successful virtual award ceremony that I attended. And it's just one of those things that may not go away after, you know, we maybe we won't go exactly back to where we were to begin with, but face-to-face, hopefully we'll come back in some ways, but we should be able to integrate some of the things we've learned. And, and I think you've got a good start. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and head on over to our blog for more content at cambridgestronger.com. That's cambridgestronger.com.